0: Go to the book of Mark today. book of Mark, Gospel of Mark. And go down to chapter 9. Mark 9, we'll begin reading verse 1. <clears throat> 9 and chapter 1. It says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, and James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they looked round about, they saw no more, no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. Make me see. Uh, You've heard us talk before about the uh, word of God and how We have it in chapter and verse. And we realize that as uh, the Gospels were written, as the the, uh, various books of the Bible were written, they weren't written in chapter and verse. Uh, They were written in a continuous letter, if you will, for a lot of Paul's writings, or just uh, a continuous uh, uh, writing down as the Holy Spirit impressed upon those that wrote the books of the Bible. Uh, But I, I, I say that to say this, if you look at Mark's account here, uh, he begins and says something there that ties us back in to the previous chapter. Uh, but he talks about, says, there's some of you here that will not taste of death uh, till they've seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, if you look over in Matthew's account of this event, and uh, we, we see what's going on here. He actually has that as the last, chap- the last verse of the previous chapter before talking about the transfiguration of Christ. Uh, but as we look here we, we see peter james and john uh, that have been uh, given a, a, an opportunity to see something that nobody else is going to see uh, that was alive during their time or at any other time uh, we see there we know peter james and john and we look through the ministry of jesus christ and the disciples and uh, their relationship with christ uh, that they were kind of the inner circle uh, it seemed like there were times and we can read of other times in the scripture that it was only Jesus and those three that went certain places. Uh, when we read of the event of Jairus' daughter and her dying, when Jesus goes into her and, and has everybody else out, he takes Peter, James, and John. Uh, when we read there, when Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and they get to a certain point he he takes G, or peter james and john a little bit further in the garden with him so uh, we see here that they are, are are having an opportunity to to experience something that the other disciples don't get to experience and you know uh, you and i today there's times that we as individuals in our walk with the lord uh, we experience things that others may not experience yeah. uh, we we have a, a relationship with god each and every one even though we all have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, we all have an individual relationship, and and there's things at times that He may show us, things at times that He may reveal unto us that that others don't see. But yet we see these three here having this wonderful opportunity, and if you look back to the previous chapter, uh, you'll see that there's kind of a a progression here, and it'll lead us up, and I'll I'll bring this up to a point or, or, or to a peak here in just a little bit. Uh, But in the previous chapter, we see there where Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do the son of men say that I am? We know what the scripture says. Some say he's a liar. Some say Jeremiah. Some say uh, one of the prophets and and, and these other things. But he said, who do you say that I am? In Matthew's account, it gives us a little more detail than, than Mark does here. But nevertheless, we see there where Peter makes the profession that thou art the Christ tells him, Thou art the Son of the living God. Now, Matthew tells us that, Blessed art thou, Jesus says, Simon bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, let's think about Peter. You think about him having this revelation from heaven, this revelation from God of exactly who Jesus is. Now, uh, he, he might have got an idea or had a revelation of who Jesus is, but he still didn't understand What Jesus' job was or what Jesus came to do. Let me put it that way. That's a lot better way. And you say, well, why do you say that, preacher? Because if you keep reading in that last chapter, Jesus begins to tell them about him dying and that he's going to raise again, that he's going to be crucified. And if you look through the gospels and piece it together, he tells them of the death that he's going to die. Now here's Peter, the same one that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, says, Be it far from me, Lord more or less paraphrasing here, I'm not going to let anybody kill you. I'm not going to let them crucify you. I'm not going to let them uh, take your life. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have to go through Peter in order to get to Jesus. And you think, man, Jesus must have really been admiring uh, or had an admiration of Peter for him to take such a bold stance. You know what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. So get behind me, Satan. And the reason that he said that because Jesus, he came to die to give his life a ransom for many. In order for salvation to be made available to you and I, his death had to take place. It had to occur just as it did in the Scripture. And by Peter saying that he would stand in the way, he would be standing in the way of Jesus' duty and what he came to do. Right. He would be standing between Jesus and the cross. And folks, without the cross today, we would not have the blood that we need to cover our sin. Without the cross today and the death of Jesus Christ, we couldn't have the resurrection that gives us power, gives us, listen, eternal life and victory over death, hell, and the grave. So Jesus, more or less, telling Peter there, listen, you're not going to stand between me and the cross. And then Jesus makes a statement there, which we read in the first verse here. As I said, it's in the last verse in, 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 in chapter 16, I believe it is in Matthew. But he said, there's some of you that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, we can look at that and say, well, preacher, listen, the kingdom of God coming with power has been prophesied and it hasn't happened yet. And Jesus said some of them are going to see it. They're dead and gone. How are they going to see it? Hold on to your pants. But you're going to see what they see here in just a little bit. And we see, folks, you think about uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. You think about all the things that they experienced in their walk with Jesus Christ. As He raised the dead, as He healed the blinded eye, the deaf ear, made the dumb speak, healed the lepers with a tongue. Many just by speaking. Listen, healings came. They were witnesses to all these things. But I would say that this event probably stood out more in their mind than anything else. This event probably just just burned in their hearts, and we'll see some different things about that. But this event here would have probably been, and this is just my speculation and my guess, probably the number one experience that they had when walking and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this here, we're going to see what what the Word of God says to us. And and I want you to focus on something that Peter said down there in verse 5. And he said very simply, it is good for us to be here. Probably most of us in here today, we've been in some good places. We've been in some not so good places. We've been on the mountaintop, we've been in the valley, we've been on the roller coaster everywhere in between. But what we need to understand, no matter where we may find ourselves, whether it be on the mountaintop, whether it be in the valley, whether it be somewhere in the middle, that there's an opportunity that it can be a good place. You say, wait a minute preacher, I've been down that valley sometimes so low, so dark. Matter of fact, felt like I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Hey, we've been there. How in the world can you say that that could be a good place? We'll see what the word of God says. So we see as Peter said there, just bear that in mind, keep that in your mind that, that Peter said it's good for us to be here. And if we think about sometimes we go through uh, physical trials, we go through emotional trials, we go through financial problems, we go through a, a whole gamut of different things through our lifetime, but yet it can be a good place if things are like the Bible tells us here. Now, the first thing that we need to look at there is it can be a good place, folks, no matter where we are, if we're somewhere that the glory of God can be witnessed, us. Amen. And I'll tell you something. There's been times that I've been down a little low and I've seen the glory of God. And it makes all the difference in the situation. It makes all the difference in, in what you're facing and going through when you can see the glory of God. And as we said, we see here Jesus, the Bible says, after six days. Now, this is one thing I've kind of thought about. This is recorded in in Matthew, uh, uh, Mark, and Luke. And it's not recorded in John. But yet John was one of the individuals that was there. Man, why in the world did he not write about it? Because the Holy Spirit didn't impress him to. I know that's the the right answer. That's exactly why. But you think, man, John would at least said something about it. But yet we see here it says there after six days. If you look at Matthew and Mark, they tell you six days. Luke says eight days. Now believe it or not, there's people out there, there's Bible scholars out there, they'll say and argue, was it six days or was it eight days? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. One might have been counting from a different time of the evening or, or the sundown or whatever, you never know. But nevertheless, the point is that Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and the Bible said there that he led them, what, up onto a high mountain there, or a, a high mountain apart by themselves. Now you think about this, when we see Peter, James, and John, once again, this inner circle, we see Jesus taking them somewhere here and in other places, and and we may look at that and say, well, Jesus might have loved them a little bit more, or maybe He respected them a little bit more, or, or maybe they were a little closer to Jesus, but we know the Scripture tells us that He doesn't love any of us more than He loves anyone else. Brother Jack doesn't love you anymore and he loves me, doesn't love Sister Patty anymore, than he loves me, doesn't love me anymore than he loves Brother Richie. But yet we see, as the scripture says, that God is not a respecter of persons. Amen. But yet we do see in, in, in various people in relationships with God, sometimes it seems like some people are, are closer to God than others are. Sometimes it seems like some people respond more to the love of God and the presence of God in their life than others do. Some people truly have a desire to, to get up to to as close as God as they can. As a matter of fact, James told you and I that if we draw nigh unto God, He'll draw nigh unto us. Now, what that tells me Folks, this is just me. It's not you. That I can be as close to God as I want to be. That if I desire a close walk with Him, I can have that walk. If I desire to draw nigh unto Him and have Him draw nigh unto me, that will happen based on the truth of the Word of God. So even though we see Peter, James, and John, they're, they're getting this, this, this uh, bonus, if you will, in their, their work for the Lord and following Jesus Christ. They're getting this wonderful opportunity, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It doesn't mean that Jesus loved them any more than He loved the other. Right. And just because somebody may have a desire to get closer to God than somebody else doesn't mean God loves them any more than the other. person. Right. Right. Folks, He loves us all unconditionally. Listen, he looks beyond the faults and he sees the need. He knows our shortcomings, our comings. He knows our failures. He, he knows our, our weaknesses. He knows everything about us. Matter of fact, the scripture says he remembers our frame and he knows that we are but doves. But yet we see Peter, James, and John. And what does Jesus do? The Bible said there that he takes them up to a, to a high mountain apart by themselves. Literally a mountaintop here. And if you think about it, when Peter wrote about this over in in 2 Peter, as I said, I'm I'm sure this was something that that they never forgot for the rest of their life. But Peter wrote about that there, and he said that he took us up into a a holy mount. It wasn't just a high mount. to Peter, it became a, a holy mount and John even mentions a little bit some allude to there when, when he began uh, verse John uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 there when he talked about Jesus there the word of life he said who we have handled who we have seen the one that listen that, that we've heard but yet we see here very simply that Jesus takes up on this mountain and there's a purpose for that but yet as we see him here once again kind of talking about those mountaintop experiences I'm I'm going to get a little ahead of myself here but if you went on and read, beyond, or if you do what I read to you today for the uh, verses for the, the, the message, you'll see that when they came off the mountain, what did they face? Man, there was a crowd. They were grumbling and complaining. They were, they were ready to attack the other disciples. And why was that? Because they couldn't cast a demon out of bull. And Jesus took care of business there. And, and I say that to say this sometimes. Listen. We'll have those mountaintop experiences. We'll have those times that are are maybe once in a lifetime or very rare in our walk with God, but yet we still may have valleys that lay ahead of us that we've got to walk through. But nevertheless, He doesn't change. He doesn't fail us. He doesn't leave us. And He's always walking with us, whether we be on the mountain or whether we be in the valley. So we see Him here up on the mountaintop there, the Bible says. And and it was a, a part by themselves. And look what had happened there. It says that He was... Transfigured before them. Now Luke uses the term altered. And we know when we think about transfigured, because of what we have read in the Bible, Jesus changed and they were able to witness his glory. Because it gives us a little description of what they saw there. When you think about that word transfigured, it, it, it's likened or akin to the word metamorphosis. What does that mean? It means to change forms. One of the things that always amazed me in nature, and you, you don't think that nature is amazing, you don't think God is amazing, and folks, that, that He can do anything. Have you ever wondered how a little caterpillar can spin a cocoon and crawl up in there and come out a butterfly? Think about that. It changed forms. it transforms more or less, it transfigures, if you will, a changing of form. And this is exactly what Jesus did in their very presence. But you know what the thing about this is? This wasn't the first time Jesus changed form. Wait a minute, preacher. I don't remember reading about that. Go over to Bethlehem. See, so he changed form from the only begotten Son and His glory in heaven and laid it all aside and became a babe, folks, in a manger there for you and I. He changed forms. He willingly accepted the will of God and became flesh and blood that He might be able to redeem us, folks, from our sins and do what was needed, folks, to, to pay that penalty that was required by God for the sins of man. So we see Jesus changing form here and becoming something different than, than they've ever seen before. And, and you think about it, I imagine, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, <laughs> that Jesus just looked like a regular man. He looked like anybody else that would have been around in Jerusalem at that time. Anybody that would have been in that area or that part of the world at that time you say, creature, wait a minute. What are you saying about my Lord and Savior? I'm telling you, in the flesh and in blood and in bone, he looked just like any other man. Matter of fact, Isaiah said himself there in chapter 52 that there was no beauty that we should desire him. Amen. But man, what were they getting ready to see? Yeah. There was no longer. Jesus the man, but it was the transfigured Jesus Christ up on the mountain there that they were able to see him. They're witnessing Jesus Christ in his glory. Now, go back up to that first verse again. What did he say? There's some of you that will stand here who shall not see taste of death till they've seen the kingdom of God come with power. Listen, they were witnessing the kingdom of God and Jesus in all of his glory right there on the top of the mountain. What Jesus said came to pass, folks. And listen, they weren't alone. Listen to what the Scripture says there. They they, they see Jesus in all His glory. And you know there's a verse of Scripture. They said, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those that love Him. Now, we, we look at that and we say that and maybe contextually it's true that we always think about heaven. We always think about what He's preparing up there. We always think about what's waiting in our future. But let me tell you something. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men what God will do for us on earth and in this life, folks, for those that love Him. And I'm sure that if you'd ask Peter, James, and John, did you ever think you'd see something like that? No way. Never far beyond our imagination. But yet they were witnessing Jesus Christ in all of His glory. And Peter says, "What?" this is a good place to be. Now what does it tell us that? As I said, when when we're somewhere that we can see the glory of God, yeah. it's a good place. Yeah. And it might be in your darkest valley that you witness the glory of God. It might be on that mountaintop. It might be somewhere in between. It might be in something that somebody else does for you that God has, has led and designed and devised a way to take care of you. But wherever we are, we can see the glory of God, listen, it's a good place to be. It's also a good place when we're somewhere that Jesus Christ is exalted. And folks, the place that He ought to be exalted more than anywhere else is in the house of God. With a lot of different things we come here to do, and folks, they're all good in their way. We come to to, to pray. We come to sing. we, We come to give testimonies. But more than anything else, we come to magnify and exalt Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You know why we do that? There's none under name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Think about it. So when they're there and they begin to, to to see what's going on, the Bible tells us there, there there's two visitors. They look around and it's no longer just Jesus transfigured before them, but there's also Moses and Elijah. And you think about it, folks. And it's, it's often thought and and, and often said. And, Uh, a lot of your different commentators will say, Moses is a representative of the law and Elijah is a representative of the prophet. Read a commentator the other day and it's something that stuck in my mind. I said, you know, I never thought about it that way. He said, but Moses can also be a representative of those that died in faith and Elijah a representative of those that are going to be raptured one of these days. Because you see, you think about Moses for a minute. Moses died. Matter of fact, Moses died and God himself took him and buried him where no man knew that he would be. But yet here we see Moses alive and well here on the mountaintop speaking with Jesus Christ. And it was good witness by Peter, James, and John. And that's just another assurance that tells me, folks, when a child of God dies, they're absent from the body and present with the Lord. So we see Moses there that died. And for those that die in the faith, folks, those that die with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there's a transformation that takes place immediately to the presence of God. Yeah. And then we think about Elijah, who the Scripture says there What? There was chariots of fire and horses of fire that caught him up in a whirlwind up into heaven. He didn't go by the way of the grave. He didn't die. And a matter of fact, he's still alive as we see him here. He's still alive today yeah. in the presence of God. But yet we see here very simply that that Moses and Elijah are there and they're talking with Jesus. And we're even told a little bit there what they were were talking about. They were talking about, if you look at the the Gospels that record this, about Jesus' decease. His death. (laughs) Jesus just told His disciples prior to this, what that we're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again the third day. That's where Peter tried to jump in the way and stand between Jesus and the cross. But he reiterated to him that's what's going to happen. And then we see here that as he's talking with Moses and Elijah, they're talking with Jesus there and they're talking about his death or his deceit. And folks, you think about Moses and Elijah, listen, under the law which was represented by Moses, every sacrifice pointed to the sacrificial lamb, the the true lamb of God, Jesus Christ. You look under the prophets, every prophet prophesied about a coming of the Messiah, which is what? Jesus Christ. Moses was pointing us to Jesus, Elijah was pointing us to Jesus, and now they're there with him on the mountain talking about his coming day. Man, would you like to hear what we see? Don't we tell you? I don't know. The scripture don't tell us. Right. We don't know exactly what we said. We can imagine. We do a lot of that sometimes. Yeah. The only thing wrong with imagine is we try to imagine godly things with a human mind. Yeah. That don't work out a whole lot. Right. Right. But yet we see there, is they're talking there, and, and, and they're talking about Jesus' deceits. We, we see the Bible goes on to say there, Peter answered and said, as we said it today, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Now, look what it says there. He wist not what to say, he didn't know what to say. You know what you do in those times? Keep your mouth shut. We all are probably guilty about it. We, we get in a situation or or, or or we're maybe trying to help somebody and comfort them and, and, and we don't know what to say so we just start talking. And sometimes when we just start talking we can say some stupid things. And I, and I always think Brother Bud said this many, many, many years ago. He said it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all that. <laughs> I've been there before. I've done that. Folks, I've said things before and the first thought that comes to my mind, why did I say that? (laughs) So Peter looking around, now first, the the Bible said there what? (laughs) They were so afraid. He was so afraid. He didn't know what to say, so this is what he says. Man, here's what we need to do. Let's build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elias, and one for Jesus. Good idea, Peter. Now, at least once he opened, you know, Peter had a, a, a habit of saying things and, and opening his mouth when he should. Somebody said a lot of times he, whenever he opened his mouth, it was just to change feet. But yet we see just in the previous chapter when he, he told Jesus, he going to we'll let him go to the cross. Jesus told him, get behind me Satan." Many times that, Jesus, that Peter spoke and, and, and just run off at the mouth. But here he says, well, as I said, as we look at that, we may think, hey, that's, that's a pretty good idea. But then we hear there's a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now Peter has this idea. We're going to build three tabernacles. As we said, it don't sound like a bad idea, but yet God, He enters the scene and He, he speaks here and He said, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. That's the thing, same thing that he says in the book of Luke. In a matter of fact, over in the book of, of Matthew there, he said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. So as Peter is saying here, this is what we need to do. God's making it clear right now, wait a minute, son. You don't elevate anybody to the level of Jesus Christ, and you don't lower Jesus Christ down to the level of any man. That's what he said there. If we built three tabernacles and honored them all, God is pointing out here, listen, Jesus is to be honored. high above anybody else? Amen. That he's greater than the law, that he's greater than the prophets. Matter of fact, over in the book of Hebrews, you can read a whole book and they tell us how much greater Jesus is than the Old Testament sacrifices, than the high priest, than the law, than the prophets, all things that Jesus is superior. He's first and foremost. And that's where he needs to stay Amen. But think about this. This is the second time we've heard that, isn't it? Remember what happened when he went down into the River Jordan? The Bible says John baptized him there in the river. And when they came up out of the water, that a dove descended, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, descended from heaven. And the voice of God spoke and said, "What? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Here on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, This is my beloved Son in the Gospel of Matthew, in whom I am well pleased. Then he adds these words, Hear ye him. What he's got to say (laughs) is more important than what anybody else has to say. Now, I kind of think there was a third time. He said, Wait a minute, preacher. I don't remember reading that. We don't. But I wonder. After Jesus ascended back to heaven. After He gave His life a ransom. After He was resurrected from the dead. After He spent His time here on earth. And when He ascended back to glory. listen I, I believe, this is my finite mind. Once again, thinking about the things of God. That the angels stepped back. That everybody stepped back. And as Jesus took His rightful place at the right hand of God, I could imagine God saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I will believe. So he's trying to tell Peter then there, hey, listen, it's about Jesus, not about Moses, not about Elijah, it's about Jesus, not about you, not about me, it's about Jesus. And folks, when we magnify Jesus, you know what he said would happen? He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men nigh unto me, all men nigh unto me. We want to see people say we need to start magnifying Jesus Christ a little bit. And we do that in the life that we live, in the testimony that we give, and the praises that we share of what He's done in our lives. And a lot of times that's done, folks, sometimes without words. I'm telling you. Amen. Somebody said one time: everywhere you go, be a witness for Jesus. And if you have to, use words. Right? Our life that we live, our daily walk, our conversation. That's where we get confused sometimes. The Bible talks about our conversation, and we think it's talking about our speech, but it's talking about our daily walk of life. And we our walk of life should magnify and glorify Jesus Christ. So we see here that the, the, the scripture tells us there that, that God lines them out real quick. He lets them know that it's all about Jesus. And he said, this is my beloved son, and hear him. And, and as we said over there Matthew, whom I'm well pleased, hear him. And it says, and suddenly here in the book of Mark, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus with themselves. Now one of the writers said they were asleep. How in the world did you fall asleep with something like that?